Good morning, Bridgeway family. Bless the Lord. What a joy it is to see you. Thank God for his goodness and his safety bringing us all here together this Lord's Day. It's a joy to have you in the house of the Lord. And did our children do a wonderful job today? Did they do outstanding? Praise God. And we certainly are so thankful for all of the parents and all of the instructors and mentors and teachers and grandparents, all of you that pour into the lives of our children so that they can walk in the ways of God. We're grateful for that. And uh, as you all know that uh, whenever I speak to you, I have to have you talk to each other, right? You, you, you know that's how it works with me. So just lean over, lean over on somebody and tell them, I'm so happy to see you. I don't know what to do with myself. Go ahead and tell them that. I'm so happy to see you. I don't know what to do with myself. Indeed we are. And to all of the guests that are here, all of our first-timers that are here, we're so honored to have you come and be with us. I'm Parnell Lovelace. I'm the Director of Care and Compassion Department here at Bridgeway. And it's, again, a joy to be able to share God's Word with you. Will you pray with me, please? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. We are so grateful. You have been faithful. You are faithful. And you will always be faithful to your people. Thank you, Lord God, for your goodness. We thank you for the rain. We thank you, Lord God, for the provision of rain. And we thank you, Lord God, for the blessing of just fellowshipping in song and in word. That, Father, we would take hold of the fact that at the conclusion of this service, all of us would be able to attest to the reality that we're not leaving the same way that we came that our lives would have been transformed and changed through this experience, this encounter with you. We love you so much. We could have praised you all by ourselves right at the house, but what a joy to come together with brothers and sisters and love on you together. We give you praise now for what you're doing through your word. Give us clarity of thought, continuity of thinking, accuracy of the text. Help your servant to teach in such a way that even a child will be able to embrace the powerful truth of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone shout amen. 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 Again, what a joy it is to be with you. And uh, we've been taking up a series entitled Being Jesus. We're going to take up uh, part 90 of it today. Part 90, Being Jesus. And uh, those who've shared prior to myself have done an outstanding job of just laying this out for us. And we're going to take it a little bit further. In fact, we're going to get into a portion of the account of Scripture that sometimes can be some of the most difficult passages to unravel. And part of it is because our distance from the culture, not understanding some of the ancient customs completely, leave us somewhat uh, frustrated trying to figure out the sequence and the dynamics of what's going on. But with the best that is available to us, and most certainly by the aid and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we hope to unpack some of this so that we might be able to apply this to our lives today. And uh, we have uh, before us your little handout that you received. I, I, I hope you have that in front of you because it has the scriptures that we're referencing. And in just a moment, I'm going to have you fill some things in on, on that uh, handout if you'll fill that in for me in just a moment. Let, let, let me start by saying this because, I, again, I want to talk about a subject 
that's a little difficult when speaking to an audience of believers because uh, when we talk about uh, the hardness of heart or hardened heart, in most instances, most of us, like myself, would be led to believe that when we speak of a person having a hard heart, they are one who, uh, they reject God, and in some instances, based upon the account that we're going to read today, there is a hatred towards God, or anything that represents God. At least that was the, the thought that I had, that a, a person with a hard heart is a God-hater, one who just does not open themselves up for the reality of who God is. But we're going to find out as we go through the scriptures today that that may not be necessarily the case. Yes, a person who does hate God or anything that represents God can be considered one with a hardened heart, but there may be also some other elements that present the reality of a hardened heart. We'll look at that in just a moment. Um, my wife and I have a problem going on with our cell phones that's been happening for probably the last eight years that we've lived in our home. Regardless of what carrier that we utilize, we have a situation in which we're on the cell phone and the person on the other end will repeatedly say, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And, and I'll move about in the house trying to find a spot that will give me more than a half a bar. Okay. I will move about in the house trying to find a spot. And typically, if I go to the office portion of the house, which is on the east corridor of the house, put one leg out and one hand out, <laughs> typically I'm able to get two bars. But other than that, we, we find ourselves not being able to get good reception. So it all boils down to where we are positioned. If we are not properly positioned, then we will not get good reception. Now follow me, because despite the fact that I know that, I'm fully cognitive of that fact. I, I know that it was like that last week, it was like that last year, it was like that last decade. Even though I know that that is the case, I will still attempt to get on that cell phone and make a phone call in the kitchen, in the living room, in the bedroom, wherever else I can make the phone call, knowing, knowing that the person on the other end of the line inevitably will say, can you hear me now? And this will go back and forth until I go to the office, the east corridor of the house, and position myself properly, I'm not able to get good reception. We're going to find today that even in our spiritual lives, if we're not properly positioned, it is difficult to hear the Lord. And more specifically, difficult to hear truth. To hear the truth that is spoken to us. In fact, your fill-in, if you'll go ahead and take a look at that, your fill-in is this. Hard hearts hear nothing. Hard hearts Hear nothing. Uh, my, my South Carolinian mother, who's in heaven now, used to put it like this. A hard head makes for a soft behind.
And she added a little bit more to it later on. She would say, she would say, a hard head makes for a soft behind, and right now you're working with a Charmin butt. And, and what she was conveying to us is that I'm sharing with you information that's going to help you. It could be anything. It would be information as children. It would be certain things that she was saying, don't do this. And our hard head would lead us to continue to want to do it, and we would have to deal with the consequences of it. Later on in life, as we began to mature, it would be other nuggets of wisdom that she and my father would pour out to us. Maybe it was relative to our education. It was relative to our budgeting of our finances. I remember that one thing that she had a pet peeve of. Both my father and my mother had a pet peeve. They wanted to make sure that we always paid our bills on time, always handled our bills on time. They wanted us to have good credit And I remember that that meant something to me in years to come. And I could hear her voice. I could hear my father's voice saying, listen to what I'm telling you. Because a hard head makes for a soft behind. Here's the reality of it. We're going to find out through the account we're going to look at today that there are going to be people in which their heart is hardened. And although they will be right in the midst of truth and will encounter truth, they will not be able to hear the truth and receive the truth. And please, please be forewarned as we look at these individuals. Dare not think, dare not think, oh, what pitiful souls they are, that they would have such a hardened heart and such an angst against God. Dare not get secure within that belief or within that thought and miss the opportunity to examine where our own hearts at time become hardened. It is fascinating because at the time that this is happening, we're going to go now and move into a place in which we're getting to, again, some of the most difficult passages to look at and unravel. We have trouble understanding the sequence. Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been taken captive. And in being taken captive, he's been taken by night, and he's going to be taken to the place in which there's a high priest by the name of Annas who is there. Annas is there awaiting Jesus, and he will have a brief interrogation of Jesus, and then he will pass it on to his son-in-law, who is also stated as being the high priest. His name is Caiaphas. So what we have here are two individuals who are referred to as the high priest. That can get confusing because you're wondering, well, who's the high priest? Who's on first? Who's on second? Who's on third? We're going to find out that we have both Annas and Caiaphas, whom have been appointed by the Roman proconsul. And as a result of that, we find that it's going to hand off to Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is going to take the initial interrogation, which was started by Annas. He's going to carry that interrogation further, which which will lead to the final condemnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Caiaphas, again, is the son-in-law, the son-in-law of Annas. But everything about this trial, everything about this trial is a farce. Every way that it is conducted is handled improperly. There is no due process of law that Jesus will experience. And as a result of that, ultimately, it will lead to Jesus going to the cross. Fascinating, the very rule, the very rule that the religious leaders have put in place, all of the rules that have been put in place, 
so that, again, due process of law is followed, they're going to break every one of those rules. The Sanhedrin council typically was made up of about 71 men. It was made up of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders. And they would come together, particularly not only to judge the affairs of the community, but in particular they also handled any of the justice matters as it related, again, to the faith and to the people. (coughs) Jesus is going to be brought eventually, not only to Annas, but he's going to be moved across the street to the house of Caiaphas. That's one of the first rules that's going to be broken. For you see, first and foremost, that whenever the Sanhedrin would come together to meet, they had to meet in a particular location. They had to meet in what was referred to as the hall of hewn stones. They being a type of the Supreme Court, they would meet in this hall that was adjacent to the temple. And that's where they would convene. However, in this instance, they're not going to meet there. They're going to ultimately end up in the house of Caiaphas. Now, I stated to you that there's 71 individuals that typically would make up the Sanhedrin. I suggest to you it is a very strong possibility that not all of the council had gathered. Because remember, Jesus was taken by night. Typically, the council would not meet until the day. They would not meet at night. It was against their policy. But in this instance, they meet at night. So not all, in all likelihood, would have been able to fit within the house of Caiaphas. So already we've got a problem. Some rules are being broken. They're supposed to meet during the day. They're meeting at night. They're supposed to meet in the hall of the hewn stone. They're ultimately meeting in the house of Caiaphas. Not only that, we find some other rules that are being broken. Let's look through the text and the account. We're going to do our combo account and look at the four Gospels that's going to help us give us more information here to pull this together. Watch this. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the assembly of all the chief priests and the scribes and the elders had gathered together. Now, note here, they're meeting in the house of Caiaphas. At the same time that this is going on, Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, is outside the house of Caiaphas in the courtyard. If you recall, Pastor Lance did an extraordinary job of explaining what was happening in the heart and the mind of Peter. We'll come back to that in a moment. Peter is outside that house and he's experiencing the denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. But going back into the house of Caiaphas, let's watch now as the false accusations begin to come forward. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus. That they might put him to death. Stop right there. Note here, they were seeking testimony against Jesus with the full intent that he would be put to death. The objective of this group of people is to see Jesus die. There is no desire to try him to weigh out the evidence. They are set and bent on seeing Jesus executed. 
It goes on to say, if you read with me and watch with me, it says, as they gathered that they uh, sought to seek testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. There was no one that they could find that could bring a testimony in reference to the reality that Jesus had done something. That he had done something that was uh, against the word, against the law. So they have to make up false witnesses. They have to draw from false accounts. And so it goes on to say, though many false witnesses came forward, their testimony did not agree. At last, two stood up, came forward, and bore false witness against Jesus, saying, This man said, I am able to destroy this temple of God that it is made with hands and to rebuild it in three days. I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony, it did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. You see, under the law, it was required in order for a convict to be condemned, there had to be two or three witnesses, according to Deuteronomy 19 and 15, that would come and give testimony. But watch this. The testimony had to be in agreement. They had to separate the witnesses out and interview them or interrogate them separately. And all of the testimonies had to sound the same had to be exactly the same. If it was not exactly the same, the case had to be thrown out. In this instance, they have these false testimonies that are coming forth, these false accusers that are speaking up. And note here, none of them, including the two that came and said, by the way, we were ear hustling, and we heard Jesus say that this temple that we're standing in our cross from, this temple over here, he could destroy it, and in three days he would build another one. And even as they spoke, everything they were saying was not in agreement. But everybody that was in Caiaphas' house that night was nodding their head like bobbleheads, saying, we got them now. We got them now. See, the thing about a lie, if you all haven't figured this out, because I'm sure none of you ever lied, but a thing about a lie is if you tell one lie, you have to tell another lie. To make the first lie seem believable. Lies are based upon lies. And in this case, the accusers who are bent on aiding these leaders, Caiaphas and all who have gathered there that night are bent on seeing Jesus killed. You know, when I started pastoring a church 26 years ago in the city of Sacramento, I was somewhat naive in regards to the power of a lie and the power of uh, false accusation. I thought, I did, I thought being a believer and being a pastor, new pastor 26 years ago, I thought everybody loved preachers. <laughs> I did. I was naive. I thought everybody loved preachers. You know, everybody loves church because churches are good to the community. And, and you know, as a believer, as Christians, everybody just love, 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 love. Love, love, love. I thought everybody loved preachers. I was sitting in a barber shop in Del Paso Heights, and uh, uh, we call it the Heights there in Del Paso Heights on Grand Avenue and Fig Street. 
Washington's Barbershop, who the owner there is Pastor Gene Washington, who had cut my hair since I was two years old. And uh, I was sitting in his barbershop then after just becoming a pastor. I wanted to get a fresh cut. And I was sitting in his chair. And uh, as I was sitting in his chair, I looked across and there were two individuals, two men that were holding a conversation. And for you who don't know anything about barbershop etiquette, particularly in the African-American context, the barbershop is a special place. I mean, that's where you have some conversations going on. And the conversations are not meant to be private conversations. Whatever conversation that is brought up in the barbershop, particularly in the African-American context, it is fair game for everybody to participate in the conversation. And we will fuss, we will yell, we will talk loud. And the thing about it, we'll do all of that and not be mad at anybody. And so we were having this conversation, and there were these two fellows sitting across from me, and uh, they were talking. I'd never seen them, they'd never seen me. Had no clue, had no clue who they were. While they were having a conversation, the other one was listening or talking to the other one. He says, you know, yeah, I hear, I hear that he's sleeping around with a bunch of women and he's got a baby out of wedlock and uh, it's just a mess, just a real mess. And of course, I'm sitting there listening to this and with my spiritual self, I lean forward with ears like Spock to hear all of the information that was going on. And, and they said, yeah, and he's sleeping around, and he's got a baby out of wedlock, and uh, it's just a shame. It's just a shame. And he's a preacher, too. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, really? I wonder who this is. I lean forward to hear some more information. And then they began to continue to have this conversation. Finally, one looked at the other, and he says, um, I think his name is uh, Parnell... Lovelace, yeah, Parnell Lovelace. And I'm sitting in my chair hearing this. I'm hearing this. And I about jumped out of my chair and messed up my line on my forehead. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it was a mess. I couldn't believe it. Thankfully, it was a lie, but the pain of hearing a false accusation, something being said about me, tore into my heart. And I thought to myself, why is it that there are some people that will just hate you to hate you? There's no real reason. There's nothing to back up their hate. But when you're dealing with someone that is bringing about a false accusation, and such is the case here, there's nothing to back the hate up that they have. What's driving this is a heart that is ardent. It's going to boil down to the question that Caiaphas is going to ask. Are you the son of God? Let's read on. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, you say that I am. If I tell you, will, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. Initially, Jesus says nothing. Initially, Jesus keeps his mouth shut. I remember the old saints, the old people used to say like this. They used to say, he never said a mumbling word. He never said a mumbling word. While they're making the accusations against him, he doesn't talk underneath his breath. He doesn't say anything underneath his breath. He never says a word. He keeps his silence. And they go on and they say, tell us, tell us. 
And again, the high priest said to him, watch this, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of the blessed God. And Jesus said, I am. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of God and coming with him on the clouds of heaven. Now Jesus responds. Jesus answers. Caiaphas says, I adjure you by the living God. It's a type of oath. It's a type of oath. Now Jesus is obligated to respond. He has to respond because an oath has been given. It it would be similar to us going into a court. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? It is a type of oath where now Jesus is obligated to open up his mouth and say something. But Jesus makes an interesting observation. He says, if I tell you, if I tell you I am whom you say I am, if I respond in the affirmative, watch what Jesus says, you will not believe. You will not believe. If I tell you the truth, Your heart is in such a way that you're not open to receiving it. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Are you positioned in a way that you can respond to what I'm telling you? The truth is standing before you. The truth is speaking to you. The truth is revealing himself to you. If I tell you who I am, you won't believe. You won't believe. Watch this. Then the high priest, Caiaphas, is sitting there and he's listening to this. Jesus has now responded, I am, I am, I am who you say that I am. And in just a few moments, you're going to hear Jesus is going to sit there after affirming this and watch this. The high priest is going to respond exactly the way Jesus said he would respond. The high priest tore his garments That means his robe. He reaches into his inner garments past the outer robe and he tears his garments. He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment or your decision? And note here, the Sanhedrin council, they answered, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips and they all condemned him as deserving of death. They all condemned him of deserving of death. Jesus said, if I tell you the truth, you won't hear me. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. (laughs) You can't handle the truth. If I speak the truth to you, your heart is positioned in such a way that you can't receive it. As they now have condemned him, they're going to begin to mock him and beat him. Let's continue reading. Now the men, this would have been the temple guard, who were holding Jesus in custody, were mocking him as they beat him and struck him with blows. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face, blindfolding him, and kept asking him, Prophesy to us, you Christ! Who is it that struck you? In essence, as they were blindfolding him, they would hit him and say, tell us who hit you. Tell us who we are. Prophesy to us. And note here, then they spit in his face and they struck him and they slapped him and they said many other things against him. 
blaspheming him. Now, I'm going to tell you like this. Please hear me well on this. Everyone look at me. Jesus is good. Because I can't say that Parnell M. Lovelace Jr. is quite there yet. I'm going to be honest with you. One of the first things I learned as a Christian when I became a Christian, one of the first things they taught us, Sunday School 101, if anyone offends you, if anyone does anything to persecute you, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. And I thought to myself when I first heard it, there'll be some cheeks turning, but it won't be mine. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? That's an area God is still working on me. That's an area that I have to say, God, give me, give me the ability for the kingdom's sake to live in such a way that when someone insults me, someone does something, the highest level of indignation would have been what you see happening here with Jesus. Not only the slapping and the beating upon the face, but to spit in his face. It was one of the highest levels of insult that could be given. And yet the one who is the creator of all things, who has who is, in essence, 100% God, and yet he's 100% man or human, yet Jesus takes upon this place or this posture of embracing full humanity and not responding as God, but responding as a man who has surrendered to God. And he does all of that just for us. Boy, that's a lot of love. That's a lot of love because some of you, come on, tell the truth. If somebody slapped you and spit in your face, we'd have to really get you delivered from cussing. You understand what I'm saying? You'd be going off. They'd be holding you back. They'd be holding me back. But Jesus takes all of that and doesn't respond in a way that would have, again, moved him from the place of sacrifice. I like what Hebrews 12 And two says regarding this, because it really brings us out. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, watch this, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then listen to verse three. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary. And lose heart. Consider the one. Who took all of this upon himself. You think you're going through something. You hear people all the time. I just feel like I'm being so persecuted. I'm just being persecuted. What happened? Miss Brown did not speak to me in the church parking lot. She walked right past me like she didn't see me. That's not persecution. You think you're going through something? Look what Jesus experienced. And yet he did it all for us. He who was in charge of multitudes of angels. I used to think he could have called millions of angels and wiped them all out. He could have just taken one angel and taken them all out. But look at love restraining itself. Look at love saying, I will not be moved from the plan that the Father has set for me. I will endure how uncomfortable this is right now. My heart 
will stay softened to the will of my Father because it's all about the glory of God being revealed. And I've got some folks who are going to be sitting in Bridgeway Church on a Sunday morning that will need to know that there's a God who loves them and will never leave them nor forsake them. Hallelujah. They're going to bind them up and lead them to Pilate. It goes on to say, and as soon as morning came, they led him away to their council, where all the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council to put him to death. Now the smaller group becomes the larger group. Now all of the 71 begin to gather together, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Look at the results of what a hard heart that does not soften to God, can do. Let me give you another example of a hardened heart, and that's found in the person of Judas. Judas also manifests a heart that is hardened to the things of God, and there's some consequences he's got to deal with. In Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10, we read this. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. The, the, the respondents, the, the priests, they respond, what is that to us? That's your problem, Judas. That's your problem. What is that to us? Handle it. See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went, and he hung himself. Notice that here, Judas, his heart, hardened to the things of God, having now seen the results of his action. He runs from God instead of running to God. He's not like Peter. Peter was the exact opposite. Peter, can I put it in the Lovelace version of the Bible? Peter was toe up from the flow up. But I like Peter because I don't want to discount him because Peter does something that the other disciples, they don't do. There's only one that on, on, in the mind or in the thoughts that we think may have also done the same thing, and that's John, and that is stay close to Jesus. But Peter, for sure, we have a count that Peter's right there. Even though he has a raggedy heart, even though he's in fear, He's despondent. He's frustrated. He continues to stay close to wherever Jesus is, even at the point that we find recording of his denial. And despite the recording of his denial, there's something about his heart that says, I've got to stay close. I know I've messed up. I know I've blown it. But I'm going to stay close to where he is. I'd like to think that I want to have a heart like Peter. And whenever I look at my life, you look at your life, we can say, Lord, I may not have it all together, but one thing I do, I love you. I love you with my heart. I might be toe up and raggedy, but God, I love you, and I embrace the fact that you love me too. That's, that's the heart that Peter has. Judas does not connect with that. Judas goes out and he hangs himself. And notice here the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. So they took counsel and brought, them, uh, brought, brought the potter's field as a burial place for the strangers. Therefore, the field has been called the field of blood to this day. 
Then it was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him in whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them to the potter's field or for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Notice the outcome of Judas's action. The sad commentary of sin is this. The payout of sin is always different than what it initially offers. I'll say it again. The payout of sin is always different than what it initially offers. It always offers that which seemingly will come out good, makes us feel good, it'll all work out. But the actual payout, when it's all said and done, the wages of sin is still death. Still death. That's why Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart, the heart is deceptive. The heart is deceptive. There is no human cure for the human heart. The spirit of the person. The intent of the person. The motive of the person. There is no human cure. I cannot trust my own reasoning. My own thinking. If I trust my own thinking, I will think that sitting in the church makes me spiritual. If I trust my own thinking, I will think that carrying a thick Bible in my hand makes me a man of God. If I trust my own thinking, I will think because I do all of the church stuff, the church way, the church time, the church days, that that makes me special before God. And I'll miss the fact that God says, I don't want you to walk in the form of godliness and deny my power. I want you to have my power so that you can walk in godliness. What a powerful revelation of that. You see, even the disciples themselves, they had, an, they had an experience in which they had, believe it or not, they had hardened hearts. They had hardened hearts. And in Mark 6.51, it says, in Mark 6.51, this was taking place after the miracle of the loaves and fishes where Jesus broke off some tuna fish sandwiches and began to feed 5,000 folks. I mean, people were eating, and I mean, he was loading them up with food. And Jesus did this, and Jesus had gotten into a place where he told his disciples, I'm going to go out to pray. I want you to get in the boat and go out there in the middle of the sea. I'll come in a moment and be with you, but I'm going to go spend some time with the Father. Jesus is with the Father. There's a storm that rises up in the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are sitting there rocking back and forth in the midst of this storm and Jesus sees that they're in trouble and Jesus goes out and begins to walk upon the water and come towards them. The passage says that Jesus almost in his hurriedness almost went right past them. And when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they thought it was a ghost. They were terrified. And Jesus gets inside the boat with them and again using the Lovelace version of the Bible, Jesus says, Calm down. Chill out. Jesus gets in the boat and tells them to calm down. And the passage says in Mark 60, 51, it says that they were amazed and they began to wonder. And verse 52, watch this. Verse 52, it says, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. They got in a panic. They started screaming and hollering. They thought the very one they had walked with was a ghost. 
they could not even recognize Jesus moving on their behalf. And Jesus gives some indication here. If you had just thought back at the miracle I just did earlier in the day, you wouldn't have missed this. That's, that's something that we can relate to, can't we? Because sometimes we, we, we can see Jesus do all kind of things. God do all kind of things in our lives where he works blessing after blessing, miracle after miracle. He makes a way where there is no way. He opens doors that could not be opened. It had to be God. I mean, you tell people about it. Girl, I interviewed for that job and I knew I didn't deserve to get that job. But God blessed me with that job. I got that house. I got that car. My credit, my credit score was 150 and God still blessed me with that house. It was nothing but God that could have done that. And then we face a crisis or an emergency or a challenge that comes and we turn around and we say, I give up. What am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? Can I encourage somebody in this house today? The same God that moved on your behalf before, the same God, that made a way before is the same God that can move in the situation you're facing this morning. There is absolutely nothing too hard for him. Keep your heart softened and consider the last miracle that God did for you. And somebody in this room, because you, you real smart, you real smart. Well, I have never seen a miracle, preacher. So I don't have anything that I can rely on to kick back and reference as a miracle that I saw in my life. Well, let me give you one. The fact that he woke you up this morning. The fact that you're sitting up in here today. That's a miracle right there. That's God working right there. And if God has got you sitting here looking at me and I'm looking at you, that means he's not finished with you yet. That means he's up to something. There's a plan that he has for you. Let me, let, me, let me give some thought to this and we'll get ready to wrap this up. But I, I deal with my own hardness of heart at times. I have to be honest with you. This, this past week, God had to show me something about a hard heart because I thought that a hard heart is just a God hater. Person who hates God. So God shows me, I'm going to give you an experience that you'll be able to understand what happens when you do not consider the miracles that I work within your life. I've gone to... Uh, work and had come back, had just left the university and I wanted to get something, a refreshment to a beverage. So I decided to run over to a Starbucks that's over by my house. Well, I went to the drive-in, the drive-thru, and when you turn the backside of the building, when you turn, you don't really know how many people are in line until you get to the backside of the building. Well, I turned around and got to the backside of the building. There was over probably 13 cars ahead of me. Thirteen cars ahead of me. And I'm sitting there, and I was hot. Oh, my attitude just went foul. I was like, man, thirteen cars ahead of me. And then I couldn't back up because there were four cars that had already gone behind me. So now I'm committed, and I'm sitting there in Starbucks line. So I've got a foul attitude. I can't back up. I've got to go forward. I can't get out of line. So when I got there to the little speaker box, and the woman started speaking through the speaker, she was all cheerful. How may I take your order, please? And I was sitting there barking back at her. And she was still sweet, and she was still nice. And I ordered my little grande drink. And when I got to the window, she reached out through the window and handed me my drink. And I looked at it and I said, 
I ordered a grande. This is what they call a vinte. And I'm looking at the vinte, and I'm thinking, that's not what I ordered. But no, no, catch this. When your mind and your heart is not positioned like it needs to be, you start doing some dumb stuff. <laughs> you start doing some dumb stuff. I turned around and took the large drink and put it back out the window towards her and said, I didn't order this. I ordered a grande. And she looks at me and she says, oh, no, 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 sir. The car in front of you asked what size drink that you had and they upgraded it and they paid for it. And they paid for it. Now, now keep in mind, I just put out a foul, funky attitude. Do you understand what I'm saying? The man of God had just cut up. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden my little tune changed. Now I'm sitting in the car after I found that out. I was like, oh, hallelujah, look at God. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, what a mighty, oh, isn't God wonderful? Bless the name of Jesus. I took my drink. And I had my $5 that I was going to use to pay for my drink. And you would think, you would think, having just been blessed by someone in front of me, you would think my response would be to take that $5 and do what? Bless the person behind me. Oh, no. I grabbed my drink. I'm like, I got mine and kept on going. Y'all, <laughs> I was halfway down the freeway. I was down to a quarter drink before I even thought about it. <laughs> what happened? My heart was not sensitive to the things of blessing. I forgot about the blessing of the loaves. And the opportunity to bless somebody the way I had been blessed. You see, it's not that I'm a God hater. But sometimes my heart is not sensitive to the things of the Holy Spirit. When he's speaking to me and speaking to us every single day. Every single moment. He doesn't just speak to you when you walk inside these four walls. Some of you mothers know your children can be off at school and you'll know exactly what's going on with them. And some people, the world calls it uh, uh, motherly intuition. Uh Uh-uh, that's the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you letting you know what's happening with your child, knowing what, letting you know what's happening with your family member. That's the Holy Spirit that's working. Sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I miss it. I forgot to tell you, by the way, I had gotten up that morning that I went to Starbucks, I got up that morning and I said, I'm yours, Lord. (laughs) Everything I am, everything I'm not, everything I have, I'm yours. Try me now and see. (laughs) If I can be completely yours. And God says, okay. And I blew it royally. Because my heart 
was not positioned to hear. Can you hear me now? Can you hear that I don't necessarily have to speak to you on a Sunday morning sermon? I can speak to you when you're driving your car in a Starbucks line. Can you hear me? I can talk to you while you're in the cubicle in your job. Can you hear me? I can speak with you while you're there getting your doctor's appointment and you're waiting for the x-ray report to come back or the lab reports to come back. Can, can you hear me while you're waiting for the loan papers to come back approved? Can you hear me speaking to you? Can your heart hear that I'm not finished with you, I'm not done with you? Let me give you some elements of a hard heart and we'll close with this. You might want to jot these down. Elements of a hard heart. Number one, consideration is given to the things of the natural more than to the things of the Holy Spirit. Consideration is given more to the things of the natural. I look around at all the things that are going around in my life more than I give consideration to the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We all do it. I do it as well. Secondly, anxiety, disillusionment, frustration, or apathy grips the thoughts more than that of faith. Anxiety, fear, frustration grips my heart more than that of faith and trust in God's Word. Thirdly, I become familiar with the routine versus connecting to the awe of God's divine intervention. I wonder how many of us have lost our awe of God. A-W-E. When you just wake up and you look around and say, Ah, God, look at you, God. Oh, my God, look at you. I wonder how many of us have just gotten to, to the routine of our walk. Hi-ho. I hope off to life I go. Da 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 da. Or is there still a part of you that steps back and says, Ooh, look at God. Look at God working. And lastly, there is a perceived ease. Watch me. There's a perceived ease within the posture of no reception, not hearing God, than that of hearing clearly the voice of God. How do I know that my heart has become hardened? Because I get comfortable with not hearing Him. I become at ease without hearing Him. I pray that that's not the heart of our, our, our lives today. That we, if we're at a place where we're not hearing from the Lord and His Word is not resonating with us, there's still a place when worship is going on that draws me in and there's a tear that comes down my face or a hand that raises up and surrender to God or a thought to want to be a blessing to someone sitting around me. I pray that if that's not happening with me, I pray that God would do it again, that God would bring me to a place that he would take me back to where I first believed him, where I first trusted him, where my heart was sensitive. And I said yes to the Lord. My wife teaches me this in many ways because a few weeks ago we were driving and we had gone to uh, Popeye's restaurant. She said, let's go to Popeye's and pick up some dinner. And I said, let's go. Popeye's is for me. The gospel bird always works. <laughs> we get to Popeye's and she said something. She says, I want to go to Popeye's even though it's out of the way. Because I have a free gift certificate because they messed up my order last time. I thought, well, why don't we just go to KFC? It's closer to the house. 
I had an attitude. I didn't want to drive all the way back 10 miles to just pick up some free chicken. But I did. I turned around. And we went back. And we stood there in Popeye's. When we got to Popeye's, we were standing in line. There was a man standing behind us. And the man began to hold conversation with my wife. And I'm thinking to myself, why is he talking to my wife? (laughs) You see, when your heart is not where it needs to be, you start mis, you know, misconceptions all over the place. And I'm like, why is he talking to my wife? And uh, long story short, we ordered our food. And he sat there and was holding a conversation. And after a while, I was getting agitated. I'm like, he just needs to order his food and go out. <laughs> Finally, I hear my wife say to him, do you know the Lord Jesus? And I thought to myself, do you know the Lord Jesus? What does that have to do with a two-piece and a biscuit? (laughs) And the man says, no, but I would love to know Jesus. And then my wife says, well, you can know him right now. And in fact, we can pray and he will come in your life right now. Now, this restaurant is full, lines of people. And I'm sitting there. Pastor Parnell M. Lovelace Jr. with my arms folded like. (laughs) Really? And she puts her purse down. And as she puts her purse down, she takes this man by his hands. And she says, just repeat after me. And the man repeated. He said, Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. Come into my life right now. I want to know you as my Lord and my Savior. And the man received Jesus right there. My wife's heart was sensitive and softened and open for the Holy Spirit to speak to her. She was positioned so the Holy Spirit could say, can you hear me now? She was positioned to be able to be a blessing to that man. I was standing there with two buckets of chicken and biscuits. Let's keep our hearts soft before God so he can talk to us. Stand with me if you will. I want you to take your arms and wrap them around yourselves. Just put your arms around yourselves. As though those arms of Jesus are wrapping around you. And as I pray with us before we walk out these doors, there's some folks in here. You almost didn't come to church today. You almost said there's so much going on right now. The only reason that I'm going to church today is because the babies are going to be performing. I want to support the babies. But some of you got some things that are rocking your world right now. And it's an attempt of discouragement and fear to harden your heart. Somebody is dealing in this room with a reoccurrence of cancer. It's come back. And you've seen God work the miracle and heal you before, but now you're saying saying to yourself, why did it come back? I prayed on this. Somebody in this room, the very job you prayed for and asked God to give you, Now they want to lay you off and you're frustrated about it. There's someone, I dare say, that somebody say, let me give you a scripture. I don't want a scripture. Can I pray with you? You can pray. Go ahead, pray. Because your heart is starting to toughen up and become hardened. You still love God. You still love God but you're just not hearing them. 
But I pray right now, in the name of Jesus, that everything that's weighing you down this morning, I take the authority of his name and we lift it off and say to you, be renewed, be restored. Let the joy of the Lord come back and strengthen you right now. In the name of Jesus. Father, touch right now. Touch God. Somebody's almost at a point that they want to give up. But we, Father, thank you that you brought them to this place. So that they could hear the word that you're not done with them yet. You're still able. Touch right now. Deliver. Set free. Oh, we thank you. Hold me steady until the storm has passed over. Hold me steady in place, God. Don't let me fall until the wind has ceased. Help me, God, to endure what I must with the heart that is open to you. That says yes to your word. And yes to your will. Can you hear me now? Yes God. And we will follow you. In Jesus name. Amen. Give God a high praise. Come on give him a high praise.